women will change as much from the 45 to 65 in those 20 years as they did in their first 20 years. The first 20 years are about physical growth and those are the markers, right? How tall am I? You know, how much have I grown? How am I doing in school? All these different, you know, physical markers, maturing physically, sexually, whatever. And so that's about physical growth. And the 20 years from 45 to 65 are about soul growth. So when you think about getting through this period, you know, some women might go through the perimenopause menopause thing very quickly. Mm -hmm. Other women, their physical and psychological shift takes much longer. But, but that emergency period, you are going to be a very different person when you leave it than when you enter it. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Curiously Wise. I'm Lauren Wittig, your host. And today I have Dr. Andrea Slominski, aka Dr. A, which is a little easier to remember. I think I left out one of her middle names. But she's going to be with us today, and she is fascinating. We had a call a couple of months ago just to see if we wanted to have this, and I, I was totally, like, didn't want to stop talking at that time. So we get to talk a little more in depth today, and I'm really looking forward to it. Dr. Slominski, no, Dr. A, <laughs> is a women's midlife coach, speaker, and author. Dr. A's coaching addresses the deep work of meaning, purpose, and belonging, which can shift during midlife. In her dissertation research and study, she explored the new life stage for women that emerged over the past 120 years. Dr. A names this new life stage from ages 45 to 70, Regency and identifies it as women's new power years. From her research and work with thousands of women, Dr. A created a proprietary coaching method for women 40 plus to guide them through the often tumultuous transformations of peri, midlife, and menopause. Her work is rooted in the principles of depth and archetypal psychology. She leads regent women to reclaim their passions, develop their purpose, and rediscover their true north. She inspires her clients to live their most authentic lives to serve the greater good. She has shared her passion for mentoring midlife women at conferences, workshops, summits, and corporate events. She has published articles and given papers and addresses at international academic and cultural conferences. Since starting her practice in 2015, Dr. A has supported over 3,000 women through her coaching, mentorship, and online gatherings, journals, and COVID-19 support programs. So I'm going to call you Andrea. <laughs> And thank you so much for being here. You just have so much to bring to the, the conversation. And I am in the Regency, as most people I know are in my early 60s. And I kind of wish I had found you back when you started, because it might have helped with that menopausal thing. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, thank you for that introduction. And thank you for having me. Mm -hmm. As you said, we had talked a few months ago, and it was just a fantastic conversation. And I'm thrilled to be here. As I said in the email, I don't know how I just met somebody I've known all my life. So yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I felt the same way. And, and so I'm really, I'm really happy that we, you know, have set this up to do a more in-depth and more, you know, and a shareable version of that conversation. So you have dubbed this part of life, what, 45 to 70, 40 plus to 70, the Regency. So yes. tell us what that name means and, and, and why you came to that, that understanding. Well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, when you're in academia and you're doing things like trying to, you know, write a dissertation or whatever, you have people that are advising you. And I went back and forth and back and forth and wrestled with my dissertation chair on the name for what I'm calling a new life stage. And I'm not the first person to to talk about this, certainly, but it just really floored me in in my research. And of course, I was kind of going through that sort of midlife transition at the time I was in school. And there are some women that call it queen, some women that call it, you know, your queendom, your queen of yourself. And I really felt to myself, like in those years from like 45 on, I didn't feel much like a queen. I mean, I was... <sighs> older mom raising children. I had no one to wait on me. I had lots of financial problems. I didn't have anybody, you know, doing my wash, polishing my shoes, driving me places, <laughs> buying me things, 
drawing my bath. You know, uh, when I think of queen, I think really of sort of that royal. Mm-hmm. Now, Regency itself, of course, it was a historical period. Yeah, but, that's what I know it from. Yeah, I'm trying to sort of to to reclaim the word a little bit in this in this fact that a regent it does have to do with ruling, but a regent is someone who rules in the stead of someone else who's to come, right? Mm-hmm. So a regent, a regent queen or a regent king or a regent ruler might be someone who was ruling the state until, say, a young a child grew up that was going to inherit the throne or that kind of a thing. And so to me, a regent is someone who can rule, who can make decisions, who can, you know, move forward in her life, who wants to have sovereignty or has sovereignty over her choices and her thinking and her perspective and her life. And to me, a regent woman is holding space for someone to come, but it's her wise woman to come. Mm-hmm. So we become regent in our lives at a time when we've spent 30 plus years tending everyone else's gardens. And whether you are a mother or not, those years from say 21 to say 45 or 50, right? You're mothering your career, yourself, your friends, your siblings, possibly your aging parents, Mm -hmm. possibly all of the above. And so we're giving lots of time and energy to building and creating our first individual home, maybe outside of the home we grew up in. We're making our place in the world. It's what I call the householder years mm-hmm. instead of the mother years, because I think householder is now more inclusive because there are so many women who live alternative lifestyles with partners or are gender fluid or LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. And I think mother sometimes like puts us into the box of cisgendered. Right. So, so the householder years, I think, really describes that time of, of creating our own home, our own life, our going out in the world. Mm-hmm. And so once we've spent those 25 or 30 years tending all of those other gardens, right? Some of them ours, some of them others. When we hit perimenopause and midlife, we are interacting with two, actually three very huge transformations. The first is the pre-programmed physical changes, of course, that happen with perimenopause and menopause. Mm -hmm. The second is the pre-programmed life stage shift, midlife, which is pre-programmed into the human psyche Hmm. the same way that menopause or perimenopause is pre-programmed into the body. And then women going through those two things at once often find that it creates a spiritual shift, Mm -hmm. which is a transformation in the way ourselves, our lives, our meaning, our purpose, and belonging, right? Mm-hmm. So, so during this time when we have this big shift, our hormones, our hormonal cascade, without getting too much into the medicine mm-hmm. of it, but the hormonal cascade changes, obviously. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just from, and it shifts from caring to others to thinking about ourselves, which is a very natural shift. And we start to think about who am I now? What do I want to do now? And there's all different kinds of transitions because all women are unique in terms of what women struggle with potentially at this time of life. So really that that return to self during Regency from the, around the 45, 50-year-old period with perimenopause, midlife, and menopause is the shift where women are now saying, okay, now what do I want to do? Mm-hmm. Whether it's the end of one career or a, a career string, that has come to a, a, a natural crescendo or you've decided you want to do something else, whether you've hit a glass ceiling in your career, whether you've decided you want to go back to work, you want to quit working. I mean, there's so many different transitions that come, but I found that women in this transition are really saying, okay, now it's my turn. Mm-hmm. After all this time, putting all this energy into lots of other things, now it's time to put my energy into me and figure out who I am now and what I want to do. Yeah. So to me, the, the the regent woman is is at the point where she's saying, okay, I'm now going to make some decisions for myself. I'm capable of making decisions. I have all my career experience, all my life experience, all my wisdom, all of the things that I've learned and, and come to experience and understand in my life. And I'm going to take all of that and I'm going to now turn it and use it for my good and figure out what I want to do. 
So I think Regency really is that period of time where we coalesce our power and we coalesce our understanding, our wisdom, our hope, and hopefully continue to develop our self-knowledge and understanding so that we can make the most of this new life stage. Yeah. Yeah. It's an explanation. I'm really sorry. No. No, no, it's, it's, I, I mean, it's, it all makes sense to me. I have, I have gone through what I term a hellacious perimenopause, menopause, 13 years of massive, you know, hot flashes and mood swings and all that lovely fun stuff. Mm-hmm. And coming out the other side, one of the things that I tell people, women that are going through that is that I noticed about two years after I was officially, you know, postmenopausal or whatever the proper term is. I had a clarity of thinking, clarity in my brain. It's like it took that long for all that crap that I was used to having to juggle to kind of settle away and get you know get cleaned out. You know, my kids were on their own out of college. My parents passed in the last five years, so didn't have that. It was it was an opening up of my space for myself. Yep. You know, there wasn't that crowding in my brain of who's got to be where, when, you know, how many are for supper? What do I need to do for my mom? I got to go visit her today and talk to the doctor and, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's such a freeing time when you suddenly and scary, I will say scary because I didn't, like you said, I didn't know who I was, who I wanted to be, what I was passionate about. And that took a couple, that was in, I think, that couple of years of finally clearing things out. But it's something that I think probably we all do to a lesser or greater degree. Yes, I think, I think, you know, if if you're awake and consciously aware and, and, and tending to your self-care physical and psychological and, and, and tracking how you're feeling and what's going on in your life, I think all women experience this to some degree, some Mm -hmm. less, some more, some have more issues with the physical, some more with the psychological, some more with the spiritual, because we're, we all go through it so uniquely and that's what makes it so difficult in a sense to treat so to speak right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know the pathological or the pathologizing of menopause into an illness and midlife into an illness and all of these things into illnesses Mm -hmm. is part of the issue but that would be for another day (laughs) but but i think part of what is so unique about our generation and really starting with boomers and then late Mm -hmm. boomers and everyone coming behind us and we talked a little bit about this a couple months ago, is that, and this is what really stunned me in my research, is that we are the first generations of women in the history of humanity. Let that sink in for a minute. Yeah. In the history of humanity to live past menopause together as a cohort or as a group. Mm-hmm. Now, there have always been individual old women or some cultures that had women that lived longer, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But statistically, just taking the U.S., for example, in 1900, women of color were dead by 43 and white women were dead by 51. So no, so st- statistically, entire generations were not living past menopause. Yeah. Not an experience that we were having as generations. So as women's lifespan expanded, and now we're living to the 80s, 90s, 100, whatever, we now have this this life stage that has completely solidified and emerged, which is say from 50 to 70 or 50 to 80. And you have to add to that that transition period, which is why I push it down to 40, 45. Because Women start going through perimenopause very individually at different times of their lives. And yeah, so I was, I was 39. Yeah, it can start in, <laughs> yeah. as early as the mid mid to late 30s Definitely. and as late as the mid 50s. Yeah. So so this new life stage has emerged and mm. it's here and there's no maps, there are no models, there's no there's there's nothing to follow as far as how to live it how to move through it, how to recreate yourself, what it means to be post-menopausal or, or nearly menopausal and say, okay, everything I focused on for the last 30 years has now shifted. Now what? Now what? Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's and some women find it thrilling. scary. It is. Some women find it thrilling. Some women uh-huh. find it completely terrifying. And some women find it grief, full of grief mm-hmm. for for what is no longer. Yeah. And these are all these are all great spaces of deep work in terms of looking at, okay, what what do you want to do? Where are you going to find now your meaning, your purpose, and your belonging? Mm-hmm. And this is what I mean by deep work. Uh, because there's a there's a lot that goes on. And eventually, yes, the, the hormone cascade will shift and balance out and 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 you'll go into it a, a new normal, a new stasis. But Dr. Christian Northrup, who's one of my favorite menopause specialists, wrote in one of her early books that Really, the the postmenopausal woman's hormonal cascade is very like her her prepubescent mm-hmm. childhood in terms of, of of how you're set up, and so you have the young girl who's one in herself, you know, before she you know has menses and before she goes out into the world to have relationships and and develop a life and whatever, and so it's really kind of no wonder at this time that it comes full circle and we, and we look back and say, okay, now it's my time. It's time for me so yeah yeah it is it it is interesting i I don't know why but lately i've been thinking back to to me before you know menses and i was a spitfire (laughs) you know i was smart and i knew it and i you know and i was i was i could conquer anything i wanted to at that point in my head at least and then go ahead and then i lost that somewhere along the way you know so well i think one of the things that in in the coaching clients that I work with, one of the things that we do, it's just interesting that you bring this up, is we look at what were your passions when you were a child? What did you love to do? What did what did you do that put you into that flow state where time passed and you didn't know it, you know? Whether you were out in the in the woods building forts with friends and playing pretend and all these kind of things, and the next thing you know, you hear your mother screaming, Danner, you know, whatever. <laughs> Or whatever it was as as a child that you did, whether it was read or art or yeah, for me it was reading. I yeah, totally yeah. lose track of everything. Yeah, whatever whatever it was, and and we say okay, let's let's look at that because we're the sum total of all the people that we've ever been, right? And so if we look at our life, as I coach my clients to do, as our narrative, our story, our personal myth, our own mythology, the mythology of our life, right? We can look at it and say all of these people that we have been, the young girl, the adolescent, the mother, the sister, the wife, the cousin, the colleague, all of these are characters in our story, in our play, and they all remained alive in our psyche and in our consciousness. And so we can look to each of those experiences and we can look to those quote unquote, characters in our lives and allow them to speak to us of what it was at that time that either enthralled us or that we struggled with or yeah, but how it informed our story and, and our self-assumptions and our, our, our self-image. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, going back to, to those, those passions of the essential you, right, mm-hmm. when that was building you know, before you went out into the world and had to, you know, modify yourself and, and adjust those sorts of things. I mean, one of my favorite psychologists, James Hillman, writes in his work about the idea that when when we're born, that we have a daemon, right, that is sort of stays with us our whole life, that knows our essential essence of who we are and what we're here to do. And how to and and what to ful- what we're supposed to fulfill and what we're supposed to accomplish in in our lives in terms of our soul work, mm-hmm. and that 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 daemon is constantly nudging you towards towards what it is that you want to fulfill. And so I think at this age we get to maybe go back and really try to reconnect consciously with that yeah. and try to okay that who am I now? What do I want to do? How does it contribute to the greater good? Yeah. That kind of a thing. Yeah. The greater good is a phrase I find myself using a lot. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, we should be thinking about the greater good. We should be working for the greater good. And it is a very, is a much more outward focused purpose, I think, rather than 
I got to keep my kids alive. I got to keep my kids educated. I got to, it's like, yeah. I got to take care well, of my you children. Know, <laughs> you know, raising educated, you know, children is always a good thing for the greater good, you know, in general. <laughs> in terms of like, there's, there's a real dichotomy in our culture, I think, between the idea of, of the culture of the individual, right? Mm-hmm. Like I have to do what I'm going to do for me and what's best for me and what I want to do and what makes me fulfilled. And I think it's it's really possible to do both. I think it's possible to reach a certain age with your experience and your wisdom and doing the deep work of your self, self-knowledge to be able to say, yes, I can be my most fulfilled, authentic self. And in doing that, I am serving the greater good. Yeah. As opposed to being an energy, an energy hoarder or a consumerist hoarder yeah. or however you want to think of it, you know? Yeah. This, it's a, a phrase that's come to me just in the last week or so about, about my work and it's practical spirituality in action. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and so much of what I do from a spiritual point of view for myself, I then bring into the world either through these conversations or working with, mm-hmm. with clients or just being a you know a, a happy person out in the in this world where people are not very happy just bringing that that energy that lift anywhere you go and so that's yeah and it's not something i think i had the space to even think about doing until the last 10 years or so well yeah, it's it's difficult that. you know and so many women now are who who decide to actually have children or, or raise children whether they birth them or adopt them or whatever. Yeah. A lot of women, because they're out in the world and they want to establish their careers, a lot of women are starting their families later, mm-hmm. which is interesting because then you end up having one foot in each <laughs> life, which is really a an exercise in living in the tension of opposites, you know, yeah. be feeling the pull <laughs> to Regency, but still have have kids in grade school in that in that householder stage yeah 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 yeah. and and that is is a big challenge for you know for women who are later moms i mean you know to be starting to go through the perimenopausal shift and and you have a kid in grade it's like wait a minute you know this or sixth grade or fifth grade or whatever you know so then then we have you know the crossover and, and that's a that's a definitely living in the tension of of pulling between yeah. these places. So now there's a lot to be said for this new life stage. I mean, women in this life stage between 45 and 70, and just as kind of a little side by 2030, in the US alone, there'll be over 87 million women over 45. Wow. <laughs> I mean, women in this age range control over 90% of the discretionary spending in the U.S. economy. And that would be everything from grocery stores to clothing to car purchases mm-hmm. to furniture to vacations to... That is... Okay, I just want to say that that's so interesting to me because I feel like when I hit about 40, I disappeared from advertising. <laughs> you know, there was nothing aimed at me anymore. It was either the elderly with the with the you know the health problems, mm-hmm. or the youth who you know ha- would buy all the new stuff. I don't well, know. Well, this like- is the thing: is that w- this is a new, this is a whole new life stage. It's a whole new demographic. You know, uh, uh, as a cohort, it's a new demographic. Wow. We have a huge amount of financial power. We have a huge amount of political power. We have a huge amount of cultural power. But the issue is, is that we haven't claimed it. Mm-hmm. We haven't gotten, we haven't gotten organized as a people group, right? To say, okay, we are Regent women and this is what we need, want, and desire for whatever, whether right. we're looking at need, want, and desire for ourselves, need, want, and desire to create a sustainable the world economy, <laughs> a sustainable world. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Think that's, about eight, that's exciting. It is very exciting. Think about 87 million women in the U.S. who want their kids to have clean air, clean water, a livable planet, good education, good health care, whatever issue it is mm-hmm. that any particular woman is passionate about. 
87 million women voting together is a huge influence. Not that all women are going to vote together. No, but, but I'm just talking about this metaphorically, conceptually, yeah. that we are an extremely powerful people group and we have not chosen to use that power, right? Mm. And organize. So um, I think there's a lot of exciting potential. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, and people voting for, for, for one particular thing or, or right. organizing around one particular thing could make a lot of change pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Or even just 87 million people all working for the greater good in whatever way they do that. That would alone, even if we don't, you know, sort of coalesce yeah. around certain things. Yeah, that's huge. And of course, and I think we probably talked about this the last time we talked. That immediately brings to mind for me the Women's March. Is it? And how how many people showed up and then there were the rest of us that didn't get there, but we're still holding space with it mm -hmm. from home. I could feel that energy coming through the TV and I had children and friends there, you know, my, my own children were there and it's, it's such a powerful thing. And women are, I, I find women are built to be working in community. Mm -hmm. oh, we like to be in community. It's just absolutely. sort of, absolutely. I think how we evolved. Yeah. And I know that you have a community that I definitely want to join. I had one pre-pandemic called the Wise Women's Circle, which was a life-saving place for me in the last few years of, of my hormonal ups and downs. That's the transformation. Yep. Yes. And my, my insanity state. <laughs> but, and, and it's one of the things that I keep thinking that I need to, I need to bring back either in that form or just bring, create something new, but a community for women to come together in. What's interesting because I think, think, you know, it's really hard to imagine how to recreate that pre-COVID situation. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't really tell how big my office is, but I can, I used to do workshops with like 10 women in here. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, during the week and we would talk about different things mythologically and see clients here and that kind of thing. And then, of course, with everything that happened, everything went online and it has really altered the psyche, mm -hmm. you know, of of how we interact, how we do business, how we see each other. And and so I did keep the Women's Wisdom Village, which is one of the things that I do, which is an online gathering I'm not doing one in January because January is my fallow month, but fallow for external, but lots going on inside. Yeah. But I will be doing one in February and I do one a month and it's basically an online thing where I take one particular issue or one particular idea or concept for that women in this particular life stage might be dealing with. And we look at it from a mythological standpoint, usually using one or more mythological stories, fairy tales, folk tales to expand kind of the view of it and take a look at it from from the personal to mm -hmm. sort of the, the, the universal so that we get more of a perspective that what we're going through is a very personal experience of a universal rite of passage. Yeah. And so working with myth as a cultural mythologist, that's what I do. I work with women's mythologies in helping women transition these particular issues that might come up anything from you know empty nest to identity issues to career change to you know major life changes divorce deaths and that kind of thing mm -hmm. so just depends on what goes on but yeah so that gets, gets that goes on once a month and as i said to you before i'm I'm kind of trying to decide what it is I'm going to do this year so I don't want to announce anything yet any mm -hmm new initiatives or whatever, because I don't want to like, you know, say something and then not do it. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm bad about blurting it out before I've thought it through. So, <laughs> but yeah, so it's, it's a, it's a time, you know, this Regency period is a time of really incredible transformation. And the thing is, is that women think about, oh, you know, it's pre-menopause, it's menopause. I want to get through it. I want to be doing it. Women will change as much from the 45 to 65 in those 20 years as they did in their first 20 years. The first 20 years are about physical growth and those are the markers, right? How tall am I? You know, how much have I grown? How am I doing in school? All these different, you know, 
physical markers, maturing physically, sexually, whatever. And so that's about physical growth. And the 20 years from 45 to 65 are about soul growth. So when you think about getting through this period, you know, some women might go through the perimenopause menopause thing very quickly. Mm-hmm. Other women, their physical and psychological shift takes much longer. But, but that regency period, you are going to be a very different person when you leave it than when you enter it. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I already am. I mean, I can see and it's it, it's still evolving every day. I, I can see something different about myself. and And it's really, it's lovely to be able to have the space, the mental space, and actually the physical space, because it's just me and my husband and our dog in this house now, to to notice, you know, yeah. to be aware of the things that are shifting. Because mm-hmm. um, it's just, it's, life's quieter in, you know, not just in noise, but just in energy and in activity. It's just a little quieter. And um, it, it's, it's definitely a time that has lent itself to spending a lot of time meditating and walking in the woods and just doing things that allow for that inward, that introspective moments. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a time full of, of loss, but it's also a time full of potential. Yeah. And it's a time when we are, have to let some things go and when some things change and we can, when we can bring some new things on. But it's it's very individual for each person and each woman goes through it differently and each woman comes out the other side differently. But if you're awake and aware and conscious in your own life and development, you know, if you get if you're old enough, you'll go through it. Yeah. You can't it, you cannot you cannot deny it. It will happen. Even, you know, it it any women choose a myriad of different ways to go through the physical transformation. Some women just just go through it and do what others. Some women decide to go on hormone replacement therapy. Some women decide to do natural therapies. Some women decide to do whatever it is they decide to do in their self-care routine. And I support whatever any woman needs to do that feels right for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously in concert with a physician if they're right. Doing- yeah. But it the 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 change is going to happen, right? And you're gonna and you're gonna go through it if you're old enough and the psychological change is going to happen and you're gonna go through it. And so it's best to go through it eyes wide open. <laughs> yeah. A, you know, of participating influencing you know the experience and the outcome right yeah and and that's something that we really don't have in place yeah and i i i happen to come from a family on both sides that had early deaths for the men in the family but long lives for the women and my mom was the oldest of four girls and then there was the baby boy but my aunt's and her family, for her sisters are particularly, I'm particularly close to. And every single one of them has said to me, you know, there was something about turning 50 that it just, life got a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, how? And they couldn't really explain it. I mean, there's the, the external things of the kids are growing up and they're more independent, even if they're still home and you know, all that stuff. But they just, they, they couldn't really, none of, nobody was able to explain it to me, but it was just like 50 was a marker for, for change and, and a positive change as far as all of them were concerned. And I damned if I didn't experience that too. <laughs> you know? But I think I can explain it a little better these days. Can you talk about what archetypal psychology is? I'm just fascinated by that term. Okay. So archetypal psychology is, is, is a term that came out of the work of course psychology started around the turn of the century with freud and jung carl jung and carl jung started talking about archetypes and and he wasn't the first he wasn't the only Mm -hmm. but he really i think in some ways popular popularized or brought into contemporary conversation the idea of archetypes and so Archetypes are the best way I can describe it is is there they are structures or they are forms that exist in the collective consciousness of humanity. Okay. The, so we're talking about maybe the collective unconscious of humanity. Mm-hmm. And 
there. So let's say that the, this is the best way I've found to describe kind of what it, what the form of it or the structure of an archetype is. Mm-hmm. Let's say you see a crystal of salt, okay? And the crystal of salt looks a certain way and it has so many facets to it. And the crystal of salt grows in a particular way because that's the way that the molecular attributes of salt will turn to solid. And so if you add water to it, it dissolves, Mm -hmm. right? And even though you can't see how the structure of the salt will, will grow when the water dissolves, every time you boil the water off, the structure of the salt will form the exact same way mm-hmm. because of of its essential molecular pattern. Okay. And then it just right? And yeah. so every time salt is this molecular pattern. So an archetype is kind of like the structure or the crystalline structure that we fill with different images. So there's the archetype of the mother. Okay. So we have the crystalline structure of the, the, the form or the, the cage or the, the structure that holds the idea of mother. Okay. So the archetypal structure is the structure of mother, but inside mother can be the good mother, can be the terrible mother, can be the helicopter mother, can be the can be the abusive mother, but they all are images that fit within the archetypal structure of mother, right? Okay. Yeah. There's the wise old man. That's an archetype. The eternal child is an archetype. The crone, right? The ancient crone is an archetype. Mm-hmm. All of the gods and goddesses of the ancient mythologies are all images that come from these archetypal forms Hmm. and the images change slightly depending on which culture you're talking about mother from or Mm -hmm. which culture you're talking about father from right Mm -hmm. or for instance the there's the archetype of if we look at the greek tradition the Greek mythological tradition, the archetype of mother. There's a number of different mothers Mm -hmm. in that tradition, in the mythological stories. But if we take the archetype of Demeter, right? Okay. She's the goddess. She's the goddess of the grain and the things that grow on the earth. She's the mother of Persephone. She brings forth the bounty of the earth. And so here we have sort of the idea of it's, it's an aspect of the good mother, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But also each archetype has its reverse. Every archetype, the good mother has its reverse of, of, of the terrible mother. Every mm-hmm. archetype is like two sides of a coin. There's the light and the dark. There's all, you can't right. have one aspect of the archetype without, without its other side coming with mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So, but also when Demeter is in mourning over losing Persephone, to Hades when he abducts her into the underworld, she abandons her her goddess mandate to bring forth the the earth, and mm-hmm. she lets the earth die, and she lets everything go to ruin, and humanity starts to starve because there's no fruits, there's no grains, there's no bounty coming from the earth. Mm-hmm. You have the opposite of the archetype. So right. Without getting too far into those stories, you know, you have Persephone who is abducted into the underworld as as the representative of Kore or the Virgin, right? Mm-hmm. And and she's another aspect of Demeter. Demeter's the mother, Kore's the daughter, mm-hmm. right? It's the two types of that relationship. So she then becomes the queen of the underworld because she eats the fruit of the underworld, the pomegranate, which represents ripening sexuality on some levels. So she mm-hmm. becomes queen of the underworld, but then because of what happens in the myth and without getting too far into the story, mm-hmm. she ends up returning to the upper world out of the underworld for half of the world. And when she returns, it's spring. Mm-hmm. The return, spring is the return of Persephone right. from the underworld. 
Right. So she's the queen of the dead and she's the bringer of spring. Mm -hmm. So, so in archetypal psychology and also in depth psychology, what we do is we look at what's going on in any one particular person's life at that time. And we say, okay, which archetype or take it a step further, which God or goddess is visiting, influencing, or leading you at mm. this time? Who, whose mythological story are you living? Mm. What are you living right now? Right. And if you can show or help someone by saying, for example, if someone is having a terrible time with empty nest, if a woman's having a terrible time with empty nest, we can take and look at the story of Demeter and we can say, let's look at this perspective. Let's mm -hmm. see what happened to her. Let's see how she moves through her story. What eventually brought her back to renegotiating a different adult relationship, renegotiating her life, finding her meaning, finding her purpose, finding mm -hmm. her belonging outside of what she purposely had it in. So, yeah. and the reason that myths work so well and, and fairy tales and folk tales is because they, those stories and the gods and the mythologies came out of the experience of living a human life, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In terms of, of these ancient peoples and yeah. how to, how to understand your place in the world. How, as Joseph Campbell would say, how did the universe come into being? How does it work? How does it operate? How did I come into being? What's my relationship to the universe? How, how does the mythology that I live under, that I live within, tell me how to be, how to grow up, how to be a part of my culture? How does the mythology that I live under give us the rules, the do's and don'ts, the agreed principles of living a good life? Hmm. And how does the mythology that I live under show me how to live a good, fulfilling and authentic life from the time I'm born to the time I leave? Yeah. Right. What are the stories that 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 show me how to get through these difficult or impossible situations? And so when we look at these archetypal situations that we all find ourselves in, once again, I go back to we're living a very personal experience of a universal rite of passage. Yeah. Yeah. And story is so powerful. There's a book I, I reference pretty regularly, and I, I don't think I actually own it anymore, but it's called Wired for Story. And it's, and I can't even remember who wrote it, but it's about how our brains are actually wired to learn from stories. From the minute we're born, we construct narratives. Yeah. The narrative is it, very simply, you know, I'm reductive here, but whatever. It's <laughs> just, you know, when we're a child, we cry and the mother comes and the breast comes and we eat and we're hungry or we're wet or we cry. We cry and they come. We cry and they come. So that's the, the cause and effect. The narrative begins mm -hmm. there. Right. That's the first chapter in the story. Right. Mm -hmm. And then from there, basically, we interact with the world and we see not only cause and effect, but how the world affects us, how we affect the world, how we navigate through our world in relationship to other things and what those relationships are. And it's all based on narrative. Yeah. Yeah. It's all the story of how we come to understand our world, our place in it and how we live in it. Yeah. So yeah. we build a personal myth from the very beginning. I mean, if, if right. we, if we are raised by a negligent mother and not everyone has a fantastic relationship with their mom or with their family or whatever, mm -hmm. right? These, these patterns can become established very, very early in our lives and they form our self-assumptions. Yeah. And we believe what we tell ourselves about ourselves and other people believe us what mm -hmm. we tell about ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so if we can look at these patterns and say, 
and identify them, right? Then we can understand them and we can choose to either acknowledge them and try to build something new, right? Mm -hmm. Or we can choose to acknowledge them, understand them and continue in that vein, depending if, if, if it's a positive or a negative. Right. Yeah. Whatever, whatever anybody's particular situation is. So it's kind of hard to talk about it in terms of like not having a specific example. <laughs> right. 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 I can't really, I mean, I could tell you some things that have gone on with some of my clients, but you know, it's all, it's all pretty particular to the individual. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's fascinating to me. I mean, I'm, I'm a novelist. So I, I, you know, and I've spent my childhood reading and reading and reading it. We only had three channels on the television anyway, you know, it was like, <laughs> But so story is very, I was going to say meaningful to me. It's very, it's a big part of my life is just this idea of story. And it comes up in so many ways, even in my energy work, I find stories in people's energy. And well, you know, it's so interesting. Yeah, clear. Absolutely. And in our collective human history, you know, we used to sit around the fire at night and tell stories, mm -hmm. watch stories. We didn't, you know, I mean, we listened in terms of somebody telling us, but right. there's there's something that essential that has really been lost in that either familial connection or community connection of sitting around and listening to these ancient stories that are based in the the human connection of the experiences of living a human life, good and bad, you know, and somehow it's become to the fact where we, you know, we don't want to experience pain. We don't want to experience hardship. We don't want to experience confusion. We don't want to experience any of these things. We want everything to be wonderful and happy and perfect and beautiful and easy. And, you know, I mean, even myself, I mean, I'll have days where just everything goes wrong and I'm like, can't one thing be easy? <laughs> <laughs> it's like no, end. no, no not no, today. Stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, stop, stop. That's not. That's not. That, that's not mythic thinking. You know, right. it's just funny. But so, you know, there's something to be said about you know not sitting around and passing down these stories, these tales, these even the what they call the like the old wives tales the the, yeah. the folk tales they all have within them these nuggets of of truth and yeah. the nuggets of of illumination mm -hmm. in terms of you know what it means to to wake up and and see your situation archetypally and say oh you know yeah i always like to say oh Aphrodite's visiting, Artemis is visiting, <laughs> right? Because it depends on, you know, what I'm, what I'm feeling, you know, the heart of, of loving the holidays, loving having the family together, the smell of the foods, the holiday decorations, everybody together, happy, healthy, like, and, and these are all ideals, right? It might not always happen. You know, the fights may break out yeah. or something. Whatever it's going to happen in the family dynamic, but that idea, right? That idea of home and hearth, right? That's Hestia energy, right? And to mm -hmm. sit in that, like in the holidays and just really soak it in. Mm. Or the idea of, I don't know, for example, I don't know a couple of months ago, right before Christmas, I live in California. And so I was outside walking and where we live, the trees, if they turn, turn very late. And there was this one tree, and I'm from New England, so I'm used to the oh yeah, <laughs> of the colors of the fall. And so this one tree I was walking, and it had the reds and the purples and the oranges, and the and the breeze was moving the leaves, and and there was that bright, just just hard to look at, bright blue autumn sky, mm -hmm. and the colors of the leaves again. And I just stopped, and it just like it just like took my breath away. Mm -hmm. How beautiful it was and dynamic and alive and that is aphrodite because the aphrodite not only is she just sexuality and that kind of but she's mm -hmm. all the ephemeral beauty in the world mm. there for a moment and passes away the beauty of the rose that will eventually die mm -hmm. the, the transition of beauty so i'm like oh that moment just of of being slain by aphrodite in the moment 
right? Yeah. Of the beauty. Of, and so it's it's a way of looking at what's happening and what what you're going through that allows you to tap into this huge perspective. Yeah. Of 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 living life not only on a personal level, but seeing it on sort of a more a universal, universal, yeah. cosmic, mythic level. And it helps us understand the beauty, but also get through the really difficult times because we're right. not the only ones. Right. Live through difficult times. Right. We are so isolated from each other. I mean, the pandemic particularly made that clear. But even before that, we we don't live in big extended families anymore. We'd move away from wherever our, you know we grew up, that kind of thing. And so I know that in many ways, that loss of connection to mm-hmm. to your elders and to the people coming behind you and the village of people at all different ages and experiences you lose that understanding that you're not the only one going through this because you don't see the other people. You know, we're all like, no, it's fine. <laughs> you know? Yes, that connection, right? And and not only that, but it, it ties into a huge, a bigger sociological thing, which is that right after World War II, when we're talking about sort of really getting things going in the coalescing of this new life stage, right? Mm-hmm. After World War II was really the end of the nuclear family. Yeah, of the not the nuclear family, the extended family. Yeah, where right, right. Generations lived in the same house or in the same mm-hmm. neighborhood or whatever. Yeah. So we got into the single family home, yeah. and then we got huge numbers of women in the nineteen fifties going through depression and isolation because no longer are they all going to the metaphoric well together. Right, right. right. They are. Are they all going to the river to wash their clothes metaphorically? Right, together? right. That sense of community. community. Right. Yeah. And yeah. that that sense of isolation. And that idea of the individualism becoming mm-hmm. greater than the collective, right? Yeah, yeah. That that started to to happen at that point too. And so then, yeah, COVID took it to the absolute, yeah, yeah, absolute extreme. And so to be able to be in that collective where where someone can turn to you and say, "I see you're walking in the underworld. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I I see where you are. I know where you are. Right. We give you two coins." For 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 the for, to make sure you can cross back out to give yeah 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 I I first became aware of the power of a cohort I guess I want to call it when I was in college my dad's alcoholism was you know crescendoing and I didn't know why I was depressed and somehow the universe just led me to a group that a dean ran on campus for those of us who were children of alcoholics. Yeah. Yeah. And to to suddenly know that there were 25 of us in here and we're all having the same experience, not in identical ways, but we all are dealing with the same shit. You're not alone and you're not broken. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm not crazy. This is real. Other people experience it. Other people have moved through it. And I, too, can do that. And this yes. will help me do that. Yes. Um, and that for me was in the a, collective. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I was 20 years old and I was like, well, this is really useful. <laughs> so I think that's probably a lot of what informed my wise woman group was I just needed going into the spiritual part of my life. I needed a cohort for that so that I didn't feel like the weirdo. <laughs> Absolutely. Because you just think you think and this happens to women in perimenopause and midlife and menopause i mean the taboo is is a little bit it, it is dissolving a little bit around talking about menopause but still not fully you know the yeah. period life thing and it's like we don't talk about periods in public yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so it becomes something that you don't talk about and it's like well am i the only one experiencing this like i like i i don't want to tell people that 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 the life that was felt great to me last week that I hate this week because mm-hmm. they're going to think I'm I'm broken or crazy or right or ungrateful right. or or spoiled or whatever yeah you know? yeah that that you know that all of a sudden like my body was this and now it's that or I feel like you know what fit last week doesn't fit this week you know right. I mean I remember when I went through it. And for a number of reasons, I I kind of went into instant menopause, which is an 
I have a book coming out, so it, uh, that whole story will be in there. But, okay. but I woke up one day and I was like, who are you people and what are you doing in my house? Oh, gosh. I was like, forget it. I'm never cooking. I'm never doing another thing of laundry. I'm, I'm done. You've all known sand. I was, I, I turned into like, I turned into, I, I turned into my archetypal opposite. Mm. The mother who did too much mm-hmm. to the screaming Mimi who would do nothing. <laughs> and, 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 you know, my doctor didn't warn me when he took no. me on, he took me, he had me, long story short, he had me on. The birth control pill from the time I was 38 when I had my last child to the time I was 50. Mm. To, so I wouldn't ovulate because my mother had ovarian cancer. Okay. And they think that that's part of what happens. So that when the egg bursts out of the ovary, mm-hmm. that potentially where the ovary heals over is potentially where that unmitigated oh. growth begins. So he didn't want me to ovulate. So he takes me off it, but no warnings, no, no, no flashing lights. No guardrails, <laughs> locomotive coming down the track about yeah. to fly, nothing. Yeah. You know? And it was just, uh, wow, it was, it was big. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. You know, everybody, you know, all of a sudden you just, you know, now there are some women who have no trouble whatsoever. God, I know. Great work <laughs> if you can get it. You yeah. Know? I had 13 years of series. Flashes. Exactly. I ended up going on HRT for six years because it was that or I was going to go crazy from lack of sleep. Yeah. <laughs> it affects all, our entire system, our yeah. entire system. And so, you know, the whole situation, it's like you said, it's like realizing that you're not the all, you're not alone. You're not broken. You're, you're not, not crazy. crazy. <laughs> and that you're entering into something that is way bigger than you as an individual. That's this universal change and that you can choose how to go through it. You can influence it and you can, you can work towards a specific desired outcome. Yeah. Yeah. But it takes work, you know, and there are always tree roots and rocks and things that stumble over on the path, you know, on your way to getting there. But it's a process. It's a, it's a process of growth. It's a process of, of creating something new. I mean, the caterpillar is completely devoured yeah. by the process of becoming a butterfly. Yeah. I mean, completely devoured, you know? Nothing in nature, in the natural world, is born or transformed without first going through complete darkness. Yeah. Yeah. Right? From the caterpillar that's devoured to the chicken, the egg, mm-hmm. to the human, the yep. human, you know, being born, whatever. So there's always the passage through the transformational darkness. Yeah. And my best advice is one in the underworld, don't sit down. Keep moving. Keep moving. <laughs> I think that's a great place to stop. That was awesome. Don't sit down. Keep moving. Keep moving. Yeah, you got no choice. You got to get through it, right? Yeah, exactly. Step it or avoid it. You're just going to have to go through it. Sit down. You're going to forget who you are, and that's it. That's awesome. (laughs) All right. Okay. I have the one question that I've been asking is Is there a book that impacted you that you'd like to share with us? And I think you have several there. (laughs) Yes, I have several. And I'm sorry I can't choose just one, but I'll. One of the, the the most accessible, I think, and probably many of your listeners have already heard of it or read it, is is Women Who Run With the Wolves. Mm-hmm. You can tell how much I love it. Yes. They're all by markers, right? This is Dr. Carissa Pinkola Estes. Yeah. Women Who Run With the Wolves. Another one is from, is, is all of her writings, but this was the one I could put closest mm-hmm. to, is a Christine Downing. This one's okay. called Women's Women's Mysteries, and she's written a number of books. Again, you can see these are all <laughs> well influential. Uh, noted. Yeah, influential women writers, Dr. Jeanette Perry, Pagan Grace. She's written mm. a number of different books, and she these a lot of these talk about archetypes and and archetypal influences. So mm. this is this is hers, and then the final one is is by Marion Woodman 
called Dancing in the Flames. And the subtitle is The Dark Goddess in the Transformation of Consciousness. Mm. And these that, are all fantastic, the, oh. wonderful, wonderful books on, on transformation. Some of them dealing specifically with women. Some of them dealing more with archetypal psychology. Any of the work by James Hillman. They're a lot more academic, you know, in terms mm -hmm. of his work, but revisioning psychology is probably his most classic. But uh, yeah, those, those are the ones I just... Uh, it gives us a good starting place. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Good. Good. All right. Well, I think that we are just about at the end of our time here. Can you let the listeners know where to find you? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You can find me on my website, which is www drandreaslominski.com, which I'm sure hopefully you'll put it in It'll the show It'll be notes. In, the, in the show notes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. easier to find. So it's www.drandreaslominski.com. I'm also on Facebook. I'm also on Instagram. I'm also on LinkedIn. You can always email me directly at info at drandreaslominski.com. If you're interested in talking to me a little bit more about my coaching, you can always book a free 30-minute consult. We can chat about what's going on with you, whether we think we're a good fit, if there's something that you'd like to discuss or do. And I have diff different programs at different price points. Also, I did put together a couple of little special things for your listeners. I have a book on the myth of Ariadne and Theseus, which is a really great little book for women who are going through a transition where they feel that they might have been disrespected, abandoned, or otherwise mistreated in their lives. And it gives you a sort of an insight through that myth into moving forward from that. Hmm. And then also on my website, and you'll have the link, a journal that's called The Seven Realms of Change, which covers the seven different realms of change that women will have to cross through perimenopause, midlife, and menopause. And it's a journal that helps you track the changes for a year, which you can also use with your healthcare provider. And it has journal prompts and inspirational images, all different kinds of things in there to track that. And both of those books are 15% off. I gave you a coupon code. Okay. You'll we'll have that. And then for the Heroine's Path, which is my 12-week coaching program, I do have a few very low-cost discounted scholarship programs available. But if they're interested in doing that on the scholarship program, once again, they have to book a, a call with me and we'll talk about it. So those are opportunities there. The Women's Wisdom Village is once a month and that's pay what you can from five to $15. So that's very oh, wow. inexpensive. Yeah, that's a deal. Jump, jump on there and see how I work with particular myths. See if you like it. I will be there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, just ask questions, whatever. Yeah, so I'm out there in the world and I'd be, you know, thrilled to talk to any of your listeners, but I'm just really grateful for you, Lauren, for inviting me on here. It's just a wonderful conversation. And I know you and I should like, you know, book a, a retreat weekend somewhere. <laughs> and, uh, I can... and we would never sleep. We'd just talk. Not talk, talk. <laughs> yes, we'd solve all the world's problems in a weekend. <laughs> All right. Well, do I do thank you for being here with us today, Andrea. And yeah, I'm sure that we could continue this conversation for hours and hours and hours with no problem at all. But I think we've brought some meaty ideas and information to people. And I do hope the listeners, if you're especially if you're in that that age group that she focuses on, I know I could have definitely benefited from some coaching through, especially through the the, the middle part of my perimenopausal years so yeah reach out to her have a conversation with her join her mailing list i'll see you maybe in in the wisdom what do you call it the wisdoms the women's wisdom village that one the women's wisdom village <laughs> i look forward to it yeah yeah me too so Thanks again. thank you so i will hope i hope to see you listeners on youtube or on the podcast next week and we come out with a new episode every week and in the meantime, stay curious. Thank you so much for joining us today on Curiously Wise. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future fabulous conversations. And if you had any ahas, 
please share them in a review on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to pay forward the unique wisdom we all have. If you want to know more about me or my intuitive energy healing practice, Heartlight Wellness, please head over to my website, www.heartlightjoy.com. Curiously Wise is a team effort. I am grateful for the skill and enthusiasm Arlene Membrot, our producer, and Sam Wittig, our audio engineer, bring to this collaboration. Our music is Where the Light Is by Lemon Music Studio. I'm Lauren Wittig. Please join me again next week for another episode of Curiously Wise. From my heart to yours, may your life be filled with love, light, joy, and of course, curiosity.